Good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll hear from Canola Council of Canada President Jim Everson. And up first in today's country comment, we'll get an update on the new Manitoba Crop Alliance, the latest farm news and market numbers, all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Five Manitoba crop commodity groups are set to merge later this year. They'll form the new Manitoba Crop Alliance. The groups involved are the Manitoba Corn Growers, Manitoba Wheat and Barley Growers, Winter Cereals Manitoba, the National Sunflower Association of Canada, and Manitoba Flax Growers. Pam Durockney is General Manager for both the Corn Growers and the Wheat and Barley Growers. She gave us an update on what's happening. The vote happened, um, obviously, Every, all the five organizations voted in support of amalgamation. So now, so that was the, f- the first step, because obviously the second step will be for the, the new entity, the Manitoba Crop Alliance, to um, gain its designation regulation in order to collect checkoff on the crop types that, um, that will represent. Um, so we're going through that process right now. So a petition has been submitted to the Manitoba Farm Products Marketing Council from the Manitoba Crop Alliance um, for them to consider a designation regulation. And now that is working its way through the government um, procedures and processes um, with the goal of hopefully um, we still want to be operational by August 1st of 2020 this year. Um, So we're kind of still doing some behind-the-scenes work, I guess, in terms of working with government now. Um, But we will definitely keep members up to date in terms of Um, the transition as we get closer to that August 1st uh, timeline of when we hope to be operational. And as far as the the new board, is that being put together sort of in the meantime? So there is actually um, an interim uh, board of directors um, in order to incorporate, which was needed because the five medical organizations needed to amalgamate uh, into a legally incorporated entity. So the Manitoba Crop Alliance does have uh, interim board of directors. Um, so they'll actually be meeting early April um, just to kind of develop, start working on timelines and transition plans and those types of things. Um, but it is interim, and of course, um, hopefully once uh, we receive designation regulations and everything will be then somewhat official, August 1st comes along, we'll be operational, and we actually plan to have elections uh, starting this fall already. Um, so we're looking to replace, um, you know, that interim board with, um, I want to say elected um, directors, but at the same time, um, there needs to be some recognition given that the directors that are currently there are elected directors from the current organizations. Um, so uh, the directors that are there are, are directors from each of the five organizations currently. So, but we still wanted to have that transition. So that's the plan um, moving forward. That was Pam DeRockney, General Manager for the Manitoba Corn Growers and Manitoba Wheat and Barley Growers Associations. She was giving us an update on the merger process taking place between five of the province's crop commodity groups. That'll take place later this year. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. The Manitoba Wheat and Barley Growers Association is one of many groups that has concerns about the Seed Variety Use Agreement pilot project. The pilot is separate from the federal government's consultation process on a new seed royalty structure. Here's General Manager Pam DeRockney. When the 
seed industry came forward with their seed variety use agreement, we fear that it's going to cause confusion as to, is this the path forward now? Um, and I mean, this pilot project is doing it through contract law and not through regulations. The pilot project was announced last week by the seed industry at the Prairie Grain Development Committee meetings in Winnipeg. And Canada had a larger pea crop last year and saw strong demand with China buying 2 million tons in 2019. Chuck Penner with Left Field Commodity Research says that we had moderate ending stocks for 2019-2020 and new crop pea bids are kind of mediocre. So they're not going to inspire a whole lot of interest from farmers. So my best guess is probably kind of flat acres. And, and that could actually help prices uh, longer term because, you know, if we have average yields and, and we continue to have strong demand, from, especially from China, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see supplies tighten up a little bit more. He says for lentils, India has been buying sizable volumes again, even with the tariffs. But the real advantage has been Turkey's interest in red lentils. That was a look at today's Farm News. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Egg Wire from Monday, March 2nd. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll get a cattle market update from Brian Peria with Canfax. Brian Peria with Canfax was one of the presenters last week during the Celebrating Rural Ranch Women's event held in Moose Jaw. Glendalee Allen Vossler had a chance to talk with him about how some of the latest international issues are impacting the markets. For red meat markets, um, you know, we've seen opportunity for huge demand out there, you know, definitely went back and covered some of the trade deals uh, and trade opening with Japan and and uh, hopefully into China. It's now become the biggest beef importer in the world. And then we can, you know, sort of amplify that by the fact with their African swine fever and what a protein deficit they are in there, um, you know, with, you know, half the pigs in China and potentially losing half of their hog herd, uh, you know, for red meat exports, uh, just huge opportunities uh, to get product into there. Uh, and then couple that with Australia, which is one of the bigger beef exporters in the world too, seeing a huge decline in their herd and potentially a 15 to 20% drop in Australian exports at the same time where we're looking at, you know, potentially really big demand works out to, you know, had a lot of optimism hitting into 2020. And then obviously right now we're in the midst of sort of this coronavirus panic and <laughs> coupling those together right now, you know, coronavirus has certainly taken the spotlight and taking a lot of, well, taking all of the glow out of the meat market for the time being. But uh, we just have to wait and see how how big and how real uh, that becomes. But certainly a lot of uncertainty and volatility right now with, with the new coronavirus in the last month. Why do you say it's taking the glow out of the red meat? Uh, we've just seen all markets come off, uh, you know, especially into China where, you know, they've got so many lockdowns. They literally had ports were getting backed up with product. We weren't even seeing, you know, meat flow into the country with workers staying home. And uh, so part of the issue we've had is the United States or North America has really geared up production, a lot more beef, a lot more pork being produced. We kind of need a really big export outlet, which was supposed to be China. And with them, you know, literally slowing down the flow of meat, uh, you know, we had a lot more in the North American market here. And, and, you know, prices came down, are coming down rather rapidly uh, until we can sort out the, the flow of meat and see what the real demand is. That U.S.-Canadian market is, is really linked. Talk to us a little bit about what's happening south of the border. 
Yeah, um, you know, and there's, that's another kind of bright spot we talked about or I talked about is um, on the beef side of things. You know, they've had a very large expansion, a rapid expansion in the last five years. You know, 2014, 2015, when we had those record prices, you know, they had the smallest herd in 60 years. Well, in 2020 here, we're looking at record beef production. You know, they've expanded uh, almost 10% of their cow herd. Um, you know, got a lot more cows, a lot more calves coming to market. And, and that's what we're in the midst of right now. But the sort of the optimistic, optimistic part looking forward is, you know, their expansion's probably over. Uh, we're actually looking at 2020 now for the first time in about four or five years to actually see a smaller calf crop out of the United States. So by com- we've got to work through the supplies of last year's calf crop in 2020. But by the time we get to the fall of 2020, uh, we potentially, well, we probably will have less cattle, less calves around in North America. And again, that coupled with really strong demand is a positive outlook. So set the stage. What are we seeing here at home? Uh, right now, uh, you know, I definitely talked about it's different. If you're the ranching side of things, you're a cow-calf producer and you don't have many calves to sell right now, you know, this this is hopefully just we got to let the dust settle and see on this. And that's where I think the positive outlook is for the fall and moving forward the next year or two. Uh, people with cattle on feed, uh, you know, they're they're in a pinch. Uh, if we look in Alberta, with since coronavirus over the last month, you know, we've seen fat cattle values drop 150, almost 200 dollars a month, uh, 200 dollars a head. Uh, so we saw prices drop about 150 to 200 dollars a head. And when you got feedlots now, they were finally starting to make a little bit of money and seeing some losses. You know, we're we're seeing pressure on the feeder market. Uh, uh, as well, you know, a good 10, 10 plus cents a pound uh, just in a week or two because uh, just so much uncertainty. That's Brian Perrier with CanFax for Golden West. I'm Glendalee Allen Vossler. Thanks, Glendalee. It's been roughly one year since China implemented its ban on Canadian canola seed. I asked Canola Council of Canada President Jim Everson about exploring alternative markets. The Asian markets are a real interest in terms of diversification. Um, the uh, markets like Pakistan and Bangladesh, uh, Vietnam, Thailand are, are the kinds of markets where diversification efforts uh, should be focused in our view. So um, there are other places in the world certainly, but Asia is such a fast-growing market that, um, that we think there should be some more attention there. And really, you know, the issue there is uh, exporters of Canadian canola are, are already focused on, on those markets. And um, but government can be very supportive in a sense of uh, more contact with the policy makers, agriculture policy makers, and regulators in those countries. You know, we have in markets like Japan, you know, very good contact with our customers and with the Japanese government uh, government um, to make sure that we, you know, are on top of any regulatory processes they're they're following and and so on and and that's really important to maintaining market access and so we're asking the the federal government and agencies like the canadian foods inspection agency and so on to be able to ensure that we have you know really good regular contact uh with those with the officials in those governments to make sure that uh, you know we're not we're not uh, surprised by actions that that might be taken with respect to imports of canola now the um coronavirus has that complicated things here uh, there's no direct impact on the canola industry but i certainly think that it uh it, you know the the focus on 
on mitigating and, and controlling uh, uh, coronavirus is is making you know is complicating challenges to to discuss issues um, with other governments. It's a kind of a serious global issue. So I think it does slow down our ability to 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 engage China on the on the issue of canola, and hopefully um, the authorities are able to um, you know bring it under control globally here as they're trying to do and that would return us to a to a position where we can have a good discussion with China about our canola issues all right um, anything else to add here Jim the one thing I guess I would add is that I, I think the you know the fundamentals for canola are very strong here we have strong global demand for our product we have world-class companies that are investing in Canadian research on canola and development of new 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 seed technologies and so on we have excellent farmers who are quick to adapt new technology and, and are leading the world in sustainability and you know I think we have some serious issues currently with a diff- very difficult crop in 2019 and this uh, major China blockage issue but you know those are issues that we're going to solve over time uh, hopefully we have a better production year this year and I think the fundamentals of the canola industry are very strong in the future. That was Canola Council of Canada President Jim Everson. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email to the farm desk at goldenwestradio.com. On behalf of Glenda Leal and Vossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The FCC Young Farmer Summit takes place March 4th at Winnipeg's Victoria Inn. A kickoff to spring bull sale at Maple Leaf Stock Farms will be held on March 4th near Hartney. That'll start at 2 p.m. Keystone Agricultural Producers will be hosting its Young Farmers Conference March 5th at the Winnipeg Victoria Inn. The Prairie Organics Think Whole Farm 2020 Conference is taking place March 5th and 6th at Brandon's Keystone Centre. And March 11th, Marmac Farms is hosting a bull sale starting at 1.30 p.m. You can find out more details at marmacfarms.net. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Monday afternoon. On Canadian pig farms, breeding sows are more fertile than ever, with most sows giving birth to more piglets per litter. However, producers are finding that the weight difference between piglets in the same litter is greater Smaller piglets are not strong enough to survive. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada has been doing research on this issue. I caught up with research scientist Jacques Matt. We work here on piglet and on the mother. Uh, so the productivity of that uh, of that animal, the sow, has increased uh, drastically during uh, the last decades. In fact, since the beginning of the actual century, um, the number of piglet born per litter, what we call the litter size or the prolificity of the animal, has increased by 30%. So it's a, it's a very large increase of production in a very short uh, period of time. And, uh, of course, when you, for any machine, including a biological machine like sows, if you increase the output by 30%, you have sometimes to look at the input that we give to that animal to be sure that uh, everything is in uh, is in adequate is in the adequate amount what were some of the uh, the supplements that you tested and and some of the findings there in that context uh, in that context in fact uh, it means that uh, when you increase by 30% the number of 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 piglet uh, the sow has to divide the the nutrient that she she has available 
in, let's say, 13 parts instead of 10. So um, this, this is, the, this is the, the, the context here is that mathematically, when you divide by 13, the part is going, are going to be smaller than when you divide by 10. Uh, so we, we, we decided to, uh, as we are more in, very interested in micronutrients, micronutrients are vitamins and trace mineral, we, we looked at the, the transfer of those, of those, uh, of those micronutrients. And, um, and, uh, we, we end up with the, um, with, with a first conclusion that when you divide, let's say by 13 instead of 10, there are three uh, micronutrients that uh, becomes more at risk for, uh, for the young piglets. And those three uh, micronutrients uh, that we, that we, that we uh, identified are vitamin A, vitamin D, and copper. When we identify those uh, those three micronutrients that were more at risk for the animal, we we uh, we looked at ways to supplement the piglet in those three micronutrients. And one of the ways to supplement was to was indirect, uh, and uh, by indirect I mean that we um, further supplemented the sow in those three micronutrients. They are already supplemented in all commercial diet but we 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 looked at higher level to increase the transfer to uh, to the fetus and to and to the piglet and um and we we also looked at a more direct way to supplement the piglet uh during lactation through either um intramuscular injection to oral supplementation that was Jacques Matt, a research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. Another look at today's farm news is on the way. Time now for another look at today's farm news. Increased demand for lentils has helped to draw down Canada's ending stocks. Chuck Penner with Leftfield Commodity Research says that India has been buying sizable volumes, but what's really helped is the return of turkey to the market. Two years ago, we had just massive ending stocks. Last year, they went down a little bit more. Uh, this year, they'll go down uh, further again. And so, you know, that is going to provide some support. In terms of acreage, again, what I'm hearing for the most part is maybe a small increase in lentil acres, but not a big, a big, big boost. He notes when it comes to chickpeas, most countries are dropping acreage because of the burdensome stocks, noting it will take a long time to chew through the supplies. And a seed variety use agreement pilot project was announced last week by the seed industry at the Prairie Grain Development Committee meetings in Winnipeg. The pilot is separate from the federal government's consultation process on a new seed royalty structure. Pam Darachny is general manager of Manitoba Wheat and Barley Growers. We just feel it might add confusion as to the current consultation that was put on hold and how does this tie in now, this pilot project, with that. It's creating a few questions and concerns as to the current consultation and what does that mean and we're just hoping that hopefully in the coming days and weeks we'll get answers to those questions. The federal government's consultation process includes the endpoint royalty model in addition to the trailing royalty model. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwestradio.com. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 in the Markets Farm Program. 
Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.